This NASCAR season, every member of the Toyota Racing Team is doing their part to take the trophy home. Like 6th grader Melissa Kowalski, who changes true to true X on every true-false quiz she takes. All my teachers are Martin Truex Jr. fans now. Keep up the great work, Melissa. To accomplish greater things this year, everyone plays a part. Be part of the action at toyota.com slash racing. Toyota, let's go places. NASCAR is a registered trademark of National Association for Stock Car Auto Racing, Inc. NASCAR season is here, and everyone on the Toyota racing team is doing their part to perform at the highest level. From driver Ty Gibbs to amateur musician Russell Viper, who's working on the perfect pre-race pump-up track for the team. Start those Camrys up! Yeah! To accomplish greater things this year, everyone plays a part. Be part of the action at toyota.com slash racing. Toyota, let's go places. NASCAR is a registered trademark of National Association for Stock Car Auto Racing, Inc. The following is a production of the Motor Racing Network, the voice of NASCAR. The Motor Racing Network presents NASCAR Live. Off turn four, white flag is in the air. One mile, one lap from his first career victory. It's Chase Briscoe headed to turn one. Guarantee you, Briscoe's not looking in the rearview mirror. He's looking up ahead and he sees clear racetrack. He takes it up high through turns one and two. He'll leave the field down the back straightaway. Battle for second, still side by side. It's allowing the race leader to break away. Chase Briscoe leads into turn three for the final time in Phoenix. Mistake free and a day he will never forget. Off four. Final time, checkered flag is out. Career win number one for Chase Briscoe. Yeah, it's uh, it's unbelievable. I was crying with like 80 to go when I was in the lead, let alone <laughs> let alone the last lap. So I, it's just crazy, you know, to think literally seven years ago I was I was giving up, sleeping on couches, volunteering at race shops, just trying to get an opportunity to anything I could. And, and now to be a winner in the Cup Series, uh, driving for my hero's car. Just, it's, it's unbelievable, you know, all the stuff that's been able to happen and to now be a winner and be the 200th winner at that, it's uh, just unreal. NASCAR Live is brought to you by Lou Emu Maximum Pain Relief, the official pain relief cream of NASCAR. It works fast and you won't stink. And by Toyota. For the latest Toyota racing information, visit toyotaracing.com. From the MRN Studios in Concord, North Carolina, here is your host, Mike Bagley. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of NASCAR Live here on the Motor Racing Network. Mike Bagley and the entire MRN crew here with you as we have just wrapped up the West Coast Swing and now headed back east. Chase Briscoe scoring the final win of the West Coast Swing at Phoenix over the weekend. Chase is going to stop by and talk about how he got his first cup win and became the 200th different winner in the NASCAR Cup Series. Ross Chastain was right there at the end as well, finished runner-up. He'll also stop by, talk about his early season success. There are a ton of question marks heading into Atlanta this weekend. What are the drivers expecting? We'll ask them. Plus, we're going to get the crew chief perspective on Atlanta from Cowbush Motorsports' Danny Stockman. And also, it seems like there's a new era up on us in the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series. We'll take a look at some of the fresher faces, that and a whole lot more. But first, Kyle Ricky is here with the latest headlines in NASCAR Nation. Kyle? Mike, there are two new venues on the schedule for the NASCAR Cup Series this season. We already saw the Bushlight clash at the Coliseum with NASCAR's debut at the L.A. Coliseum in January. And later this summer, the sport's top stars will race on the 1.25-mile Worldwide Technology Raceway at Gateway in Madison, Illinois. This week, track officials, along with Illinois State Governor J.R. Pritzker, announced the race will be known as the Enjoy Illinois 300, 
sponsored by the Illinois Office of Tourism. While NASCAR started racing there in 1997 with the Xfinity and Camping World Truck Series, this will be the debut for the Cup Series, a race that is set for Sunday, June 5th. And speaking of new, just about everything will be new when NASCAR's three national series check into the Atlanta Motor Speedway for this weekend's triple header weekend of racing. A newly paved surface and a new configuration have drivers guessing at what they might expect when they hit the racetrack. Joe Gibbs Racing driver Christopher Bell says that not much from the past will relate to this weekend. We're going there blind, that's for sure. Nothing that we have, no notes, no um, no video. Yeah, new car, new track. It's it's an intermediate that's going to race like a super speedway. So, uh, you know, just go there and put our Daytona Talladega hat on and see if we can't uh, make it to the end. The NASCAR Camping World Truck Series will kick off the weekend on Saturday with the Freight 208 at 2 p.m. Eastern Time here on MRN. Mike. Thank you, Kyle. Coming up, Chase Briscoe will join us fresh off his Phoenix win. And later, Ross Chastain will stop by. Buying a house can feel like you're going 200 miles per hour in bumper-to-bumper traffic with a dirty windshield and the sun in your eyes. Ruoff Mortgage has the technology, expert staff, and resources to simplify the process while speeding up the time it takes to get clear to close. So while getting a loan can seem intimidating, Ruoff Mortgage will have you opening the door to your new home fast and stress-free. Visit Ruoff.com to learn more. That's Ruoff.com. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. Over the weekend at Phoenix Raceway, it was the end of the West Coast Swing, but the beginning of NASCAR Cup Series winning ways for Chase Briscoe. He won the Ruoff Mortgage 500 at Phoenix Raceway, and he joins us now. Welcome back to NASCAR Live, Chase. Glad to have you. Congratulations on that win Sunday. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's uh, always good to talk to you, but even better under the circumstances. So what do you take with you the most out of what you accomplished on Sunday? Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me is just, uh, first off, I'm thankful for the opportunity and just being able to even be in that position to to run in the Cup Series, but then let alone win in the Cup Series. But then you know, just the fact that I, I, I felt like I earned it. You know, I, I didn't, you know, lead the last lap and that was it. You know, it wasn't some crazy fuel mileage. It didn't rain. You know, nothing against guys that have won that way, but I, I felt like I, had, I won the race. You know, I led over 100 laps. Uh, I had to, you know, hold off multiple guys on restarts at the end. And, you know, I think that there's a lot of pride that comes in that for myself is I, I didn't get it handed to me in a sense. I had to go out and earn it. And, you know, having restarts with two other guys that have never won a race, you know, they're going for it. The one restart I started beside my teammate, who's probably the king of Phoenix. Um, you know, I, I felt like I, I did a really good job that day. From from start to finish, I felt like that's the best race I've ever ran in my life. And to be able to put it all together and end up in victory lane uh, was special. You talk about restarts. That last restart was um, was pretty dicey. I thought we were going to have a heap of wadded up race cars down in turn one. How was it from your seat? Yeah, it was wild. And uh, I'm glad I grew up dirt racing, to be honest with you. I felt like, uh, you know, getting down into one, it was just a, a deal where it was flat or die. You had to throw a slide job or you're going to be the one on the, the not good end of it. It was funny. I was talking to Tyler and Ross after the race and I mean, there at Phoenix, you're normally in fifth gear down into turn one, but on restarts, you can run fourth gear, and then you can either leave it in fourth or ship to fifth. And we were all in fourth gear, just, I mean, buried on the rev limiter, all the way down into the corner. We were drowning in so deep. 
And it was just honestly a game of chicken. Who was going to be the last person to lift? Whoever did that was going to be able to, to, you know, hold the lead and win the race. So uh, I felt like my dirt experience helped, you know, especially the second to last start. Ross was to my inside. And, you know, whenever you're running a sprint car or a midget and a guy is going to throw a slider, if you can just drive in just as deep and right on the right front or, you know, right off the right rear, you know, you normally put them in a pretty bad spot and they have to pinch off. So that's what I tried to do and it ended up working out. Saw you when you got out of the car. You parked the car after the massive burnout at the start-finish line. You got out, you took a knee, you bowed your head. What were the emotions right then? Yeah, it's just something that I've always done ever since the Xfinity stuff. Um, you know, I just say a prayer and, and say thank you for the opportunity. I, I always say, let me try to use this to, to glorify you any way I can. And, you know, there's I'm constantly praying throughout the race, every caution, sometimes under green. And uh, just felt, you know, like he's put me here for a reason. And let me try to glorify you through it all. So I've always done that and been able to, uh, you know, it's been well received from the fan base and everything else. So it's been cool to to be able to do that and get the opportunity, like I said, to do that. And uh, it was it was a, a nice moment to just kind of sit there and say thank you and then start the celebration. So one thing I want to get to the bottom of, you told our Steve Post in the Trackside interview, you documented how it used to sleep on sofas and, and you're volunteering. Let's. Let's explore that. Whose sofa did you sleep on when you first got to North Carolina? Yeah, there's a couple couple different ones, but the one that I was honestly at the most was Ross Weiss. He was one of the few people I knew in North Carolina. He was a sprint car guy uh, from Illinois. And yeah, I, I slept on this couch. It was probably the most uncomfortable couch I've ever been on in my life. Uh, my feet hung over the end. Um, yeah, and I slept there for, for two years. I think it was a two-bedroom I mean, maybe 600 square foot apartment at the most. I mean, it was tiny and I would sleep in the living room um, and Bell would sleep on an air mattress in the in the spare bedroom. So, yeah, it was uh, uh, not the most ideal sleeping arrangement, but I didn't have anywhere else to stay. And I would just I told Ross, like, hey, look, I can't pay you rent, but I can give you money here and there when I have it. And, you know, there'd be some months I'd give him 200 bucks. There'd be other months I'd give him 50 bucks. And I just did what I could to, to try to help him out. But yeah, without Ross, I even texted him after the race and, and he had told me congrats. I said, hey, thank you for letting me sleep on your couch because without that, I wouldn't have had a place to go in North Carolina and I wouldn't have been able to go and volunteer at these race shops and it wouldn't have turned into an eventual opportunity with, with Cunningham Motorsports. What was the attraction of that? So you uproot yourself, you come to North Carolina, you're not in the best sleeping arrangements. You're sleeping on sofas. What about that made it attractive to you? Why did you do that? Yeah, so in 2013, uh, I had nothing going. My sprint car career-wise, my family didn't really have the money to, to race at all, let alone go run 50, 60 races like everybody else was. We were running maybe 12 races, 15 races a year, and our motor blew up like the second race of the season. And I was on Facebook one day, and there was this thing called the Peak Stock Car Dream Challenge. And I looked it up and it said, hey, we're going to take 10 drivers. We're going to bring them to Charlotte, North Carolina. We're going to put them in a stock car with Michael Waltrip Racing. And I entered this thing. You had to submit a video. I didn't listen to any of the guidelines. I don't know how I even got picked this day. Uh, and yeah, I got picked. I went to Charlotte and I'd never driven a stock car. I'd never been on pavement, never even driven a manual transmission. And I apparently showed speed and Ty Norris, I uh, was the general manager at the time of, of Michael Walter Racing. And whenever we were leaving the competition, uh, my dad actually kicked me out of the room and said, I want to talk to you real quick, Ty. And he asked Ty, like, hey, if you're just blowing smoke about my kid being good, just let me know. And, and I won't keep pursuing this and we won't even keep sprint car racing. But if you think he honestly 
has something, then let me know. And, and Ty told him, no, he needs to move down here. I think he has an opportunity. So I graduated high school a couple of weeks later and uh, moved to North Carolina and uh, started, you know, going to these different shops. I, I knew one person when I first moved down there and it was Brian Keselowski because he was one of the instructors at the Peak Stock Car Dream Challenge. Um, and started going there and working for Bob and Brian, just volunteering and would actually go spot races for Brian when he would run stuff. And uh, yeah, it eventually turned into, you know, where it is today. And it was cool. Ty Norris came down on the wall. He was one of the first people uh, I saw uh, after the race. And he, he was just super excited for me. And, and it was really neat. It was kind of a full circle moment that, that Ty came down there. And he even said, I'm glad you didn't give up on it. It's ironic you bring up Brad Keselowski because one of the stats that came out after Sunday's race, the top four finishers at one point drove trucks for Brad Keselowski. You, Ross, Tyler Reddick, and Ryan Blaney. It's like a reunion of Brad Keselowski NASCAR Camping World Truck Series racers in the top four of a cup race in Phoenix on Sunday. That was awesome. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. You know, and like I said, my start came with Brian and Bob and then, you know, comes back full circle. I get a drive for Brad. The last race ever for Brad Keselowski Racing, uh, I win in the 29 truck. That was my first win. Uh, Brad's last as an owner at the time. That's Chase Briscoe. Coming up, Ross Chastain. And later, we get a sense of what other drivers are expecting at Atlanta this weekend. Sir, are you aware you were going 40 miles an hour? This is a residential area. Sure, but I'm on my lawnmower. Wait, am I getting a ticket? No, I've just never seen anyone top nine miles an hour on one of those bad boys. And mow their entire lawn in 30 seconds? What got into you? Well, it did fuel up at Sunoco this morning. At Sunoco, we know how to fuel peak performance. We've been doing it for American Racing for over 50 years. Fuel your best. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. Chase Briscoe, one of the surprises so far in 2022. You just heard from him. What about the driver that finished second? Matter of fact, he finished in the top 10 two weekends in a row. We're speaking of Ross Chastain. Trackhouse Racing, that's his organization. Daniel Suarez is his teammate. Daniel almost won Auto Club. Ross, two straight top five finishes. Kim Kuhn caught up with Ross to discuss his early season successes. So let's dive a little deeper into the cars then because drivers have talked about how hard they are to drive in a good way. And then we've seen how challenging they are to drive. We've seen a lot of single car spins. How would you describe managing these cars on track versus the old generation of cars? Oh, well, I can tell you, I have never overcorrected and hit a wall head on like I did at Auto Club. And I can laugh about it now because when I'm okay and we had a good run the next week, so it didn't knock any of the speed out of me. I was a little worried that, um, you know, just that hitting a wall that hard, it, it changes you. And I've heard drivers over the years, I've lived with Ron Hornaday and he's he's told me, Todd Bodine's told me like you, like they always are like, you young guys haven't hit hard enough yet to really slow you down. And I was like, oh, I mean, that probably is gonna happen at some point. And um, I hope I don't ever hit as hard as I did at, at Auto Club, cause that was, was big but um yeah it's 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 evolving and the car is evolving and and i think that um being a part of this evolution and this learning curve right now in the sport is all i could ever ask for i'm not i'm not years or decades behind drivers that have been here for 20 years i'm i'm learning the same it's i have the same opportunity to learn i guess is a better way to put it as kevin harvick who has 
forgotten more things in the sport than I've ever learned. Going further into that, you know, you have a lot of experience in the sport, but on the same token, you're, you're not on the level of like a Kevin Harvick or a Kyle Busch. Is there a little comfort in seeing, you know, those champions, the Harvicks, the Kyle Bushes, the Joey Logano's have as much trouble, you know, with kind of figuring out what they need to do with this car as, as even the rookies? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's still a race car. So we're, we're still race car drivers and I have, we still have crew chiefs and engineers trying to make these things as fast as they can. And, um, you know, learn to Vegas, right? Like we had the best car early in stage three and the end of stage two, and then the 18 and 19 made better adjustments. I didn't really know what to ask for. I felt like we were good. Didn't want to mess it up. Didn't really want to get too loose so they got better and ultimately they were the best two cars at the end of the race we were a third or a fourth car that very last long run to the end before the final caution so um you know they still have that edge of knowing what las vegas is probably gonna do um you know i think it helped it, it cooled down and they caught the clouds and some cooler temperatures there at the end to help them as well but um you know they they still just naturally have more races they've been in that position more so they're not afraid to put it on edge right at the end of the race i was very i know what i've got i know i can run top five here let's just get out of las vegas i i'm not a gambling guy i don't i didn't bet the whole week i was out there uh, i don't gamble at all i gamble on the racetrack and i felt like i had gambled plenty on the racetrack on on sunday and, and through practice so um i was ready to get out of there and they you know, they got their cars a little better with a maybe a risky adjustment. I don't know, but they they took another step and, and we didn't. And we still ended up third and, you know, could be more proud. You had ACM on your Vegas car. And then I saw where you went to the ACM Awards. Uh, I, I liked that you said you're trading one suit for another. You looked very dapper. What was the highlight of the event? <sighs> you know, it was I've never been to anything like that. So, you know, um, coming off a good race, obviously we we wanted to we celebrated the fact that we we had a good 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 race on Sunday, and um, you know I'm a I'm a country music guy, like I, that's what I listen to. So I, I knew every, I knew everybody there. Everybody there did not know me, uh, but they knew once they knew that I drove the ACM car, they were pumped, and a lot of them had tuned in throughout the race Sunday once they you know, found out, either found out that the ACMs were on our car and then we were up front leading laps and had a chance to win. They were, a lot of people told me they're, you know, it's cool to hear different people's stories of where they were watching a race from, um, you know, where they saw something happen at, what their interpretation of it is. Sometimes it's way off and they, they, they saw it in a way different light than I saw it from behind the wheel, but um, it was, it was cool and had some buddies. I, I grew up with um, some buddies that, that work in it now, um, work in that industry. And we, um, you know, so it, it's cool that our, our, uh, careers came back together there in Vegas and we got to hang out. So, um, have made some friends, uh, track house is based out of Nashville. So there's going to be ties to country music, um, whenever we, ha whenever we get the opportunity. So really, a really a cool deal. Um, I don't know what the coolest thing was. I, I didn't get to meet Dolly. So I was like trying my hardest. I wanted to meet her and I didn't get the chance. So maybe next time. Yes, maybe next time. And I was going to ask, are you a country music guy? So it's nice to hear that 
you were kind of in this environment that you could really soak up. Did you have, you didn't get to meet Dolly, but did you have like a, oh, this is a cool, like, I can't believe I'm seeing this person moment or maybe a performance during the show that you were like, this is awesome. No, not, not one thing. Um, just, just the whole event, just, and just seeing them really. So where I was sitting was not where the, 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 the singers or the, the celebrities were. We were on the other side of the center stage where a lot of the agents and songwriters were. So when a song, when a, when a, when a singer, I don't know what the right term is, but when somebody wins like female artists of the year, like Lainey Wilson, like she was on the other side but her songwriter was right next to me. So seeing, I knew that and I didn't know if she, like they didn't know if she was gonna win. Seeing his reaction and seeing Zeb, who is my buddy from back home that works at Make Wake, um, you know, that, that was something that seeing their faces was, I'm sorry, Zeb works at River House. Yeah, I'm, I'm messing up. I don't, I don't really understand that industry yet. Yeah. Just like he doesn't really understand NASCAR. He's like, you know, we're trying to learn each other's stuff. Um, I listen to country music. He watches NASCAR, but we're both learning. But to see, like, see their faces was that was that was the coolest part because I know Zeb, and then I got to know those guys behind the scenes that were the real songwriters of those songs. Um, Lanny was the one that took it to be, you know, to be what it is, and for her career to be taking off. That was that was cool, um, uh, you know. And, and then see, you see people at after parties and pre parties, and it was like it was a lot of uh, a lot of people around. So I'm not a big people person. There was a <laughs> lot of people for me to, to be around. A lot of a lot of packed rooms and, and stuff. But um, glad I got glad I got to experience it. But I was definitely glad to get home as well. Okay, so when you're listening to the radio or if you find yourself at a karaoke bar, which I'm guessing is probably not the first place we would find Ross Chastain, what are you singing along to? Oh, oh, that's tough. Although I have a face for radio, I feel like, I don't know that I have the vocals for it. So, I mean, I can sing along to about any any country, any, any George Strait, Keith Whitley, Garth Brooks. I mean, I mean, those are just the easy picking ones. Um, you just about any of those. Friends in low places. I want to. I want to hear you sing it next time I see you in the garage. Right. Um, okay, so ACM Awards. You stayed out west. Did you do anything else cool besides uh, go to the show? Nope, that was it. Um, no, no, I don't. I don't gamble, so I don't go into the casinos. I walk through them, but I didn't stop. And no, I. Tuesday morning, I got got out of there and got back to Charlotte. Thank you, Kim. Ross will be doing double duty this weekend. He'll be driving for Nice Motorsports in the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series on top of his track house racing duties. Coming up, we'll get a feel of what drivers are expecting at the brand new Atlanta Motor Speedway. And later, we get to know some of the fresh faces in the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. When we head to Atlanta this weekend, we will see something we've never seen before. A mile and a half super speedway. Kyle Ricky is here to take us through the revamping of AMS and what the drivers are expecting this weekend. 
Atlanta Motor Speedway has been a staple of the NASCAR Cup Series since its inception in 1960. But when the sport's best take to the track this weekend, it will be on an Atlanta Motor Speedway that they've never seen before. Atlanta is no stranger to change. In 1997, the track was turned into a D-shaped oval that included swapping the front and backstretch. That changed the track forever. But last summer, an entirely new vision for the Speedway came into focus. After Kurt Busch won the Quaker State 400 last July, work began almost immediately on a reconfiguration and repaving of the 1.5-mile speedway. Gone is the worn-out surface that would put tires at a premium in its place, a gripped-up new surface to go along with steeper banking, and a narrowing of the racing surface. All of this was done in hopes of creating a third super speedway. While that was the goal, drivers aren't sure what to expect. Drivers in all three series took part in a tire test earlier this year, but had different takeaways. Ross Chastain and Chris Buescher were two of the three cup drivers to participate in the test. Chastain thinks track officials succeeded in their goal of creating a third super speedway, while Buescher isn't sure the racing is going to be that close to what we see at Daytona and Talladega. Atlanta is the third super speedway now. It's pretty crazy. Uh, it's odd to see in person because I just know what Atlanta looks like in my brain. And I pull out on the track and it's narrower and the apron is very wide. Now they've moved the, the front stretch down by 20 feet so you can shortcut quite a bit down on the flat. Um, they're going to have to do some sort of double yellow line if the same problems arise, which I believe they will, that I've watched on YouTube and old races of guys trying to remerge and then them crashing in the corners at Daytona and Talladega. Now, the difference is, or the, really the similarity is that right now we crash at the end of the straightaway. Most of your super speedway wrecks down the back or down the front stretch into turn one or turn three, big energy comes from eighth place up through the pack, leader gets turned or fourth place gets turned or whatever, third place right up towards the front. If you make it through it, you have a chance to win. If not, there's... 12 cars wrecked on the straightaway they slide into the corner and down if they don't put a double yellow line i feel like we will just make it past that point get into the banking and as everybody jumps back up on the track from shortcutting or turning each other from bump drafting um you know or forcing each other down there uh, we'll just crash in the corner i got to run the the test down there obviously it's just three of us um new asphalt it's always hard to get a, a really good read but Leaving there, I did not feel like you're going to have a Daytona or a Talladega race. The handling was very much a factor. Yes, the throttle time was was wide open, uh, but there were still some pretty big moments with a very few cars. Uh, the racing surface is very narrow with the added banking. Uh, so I, I don't think that you're going to end up with the product we have here. I don't know what it'll look like. It's, it's going to be some form of a hybrid. While only three cup drivers have actually driven on the new surface, other drivers have been doing their homework through watching tape of the test and working on the simulator. The differing opinions continue with teammates Denny Hamlin and Martin Truix Jr. It's going to be a small Daytona. Narrow, small Daytona. Wide open. Drafting. I don't know if we're going to be drafting or we're going to be you know, I, I don't think we're going to be tight pack racing. I don't, it's not going to be Daytona or Talladega, but 
Are they going to be grouped together? How do you build your car? All those things are going to be a question mark, and I have no clue what I'm getting into. While those drivers think they might know what to expect, other drivers are going in with an open mind. Former Daytona 500 winners Michael McDowell and Austin Dillon are expecting the unexpected. Expect the unexpected. I mean, you know, we didn't do the tire test, so I haven't I haven't seen the racetrack other than, you know, just like you all probably watched on YouTube when they were doing the tests and stuff like that. Um, so I don't really know what to expect. Um, you know, the guys that I have talked to, um, you know, said the track has a lot of grip and, you know, it's very easy, wide open, much like Daytona and Talladega. So I'm sort of anticipating that style of, of a race, but, you know, just like everybody else, you know, with not making any laps and you just don't know until you get there. Expect the unexpected. I mean, you know, we didn't do the tire test, so I haven't I haven't seen the racetrack other than, you know, just like you all probably watched on YouTube when they were doing the tests and stuff like that. Um, so I don't really know what to expect. Um, you know, the guys that I have talked to, um, you know, said the track has a lot of grip and, you know, it's very easy, wide open, much like Daytona and Talladega. So I'm sort of anticipating that style of, of a race, but you know, just like everybody else, you know, with not making any laps and you just don't know until you get there. One of the things that will be unexpected this weekend is how drivers deal with the front stretch and the narrowing of the corners in terms of staying on the racing surface. Last week, NASCAR official Steve O'Donnell said he expects NASCAR to implement a double yellow line rule like we see at Daytona and Talladega. I think you'll see some things. I mean, I'll jump ahead. We've had some really good dialogue with the drivers in the industry coming out of of the test there. Uh, You're going to see us probably institute the the double yellow line, uh, similar to what we have at both Talladega and and Daytona. Uh, But I think the dialogue we've had with the drivers, with the expectations going in, work with Goodyear, feel like we're in a good place for that race. And, and, uh, you know, I think the fans will be in for a really good race. With much certainty, there is one thing that is easy to predict. After this weekend, there will certainly be a lot of talk in terms of the new Atlanta. MRN will have full coverage of the first race on the new track when the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series goes green for the Freight 208 Saturday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. There are certainly more questions than we have answers for heading into this weekend at Atlanta. Can't wait to see how all this is going to unfold. MRN will have coverage of the Truck Series race Saturday. Right after that, the NASCAR Xfinity Series will take to the track. The Performance Racing Network will have the call of that one, and they will also have the call of the NASCAR Cup Series Folds of Honor Quick Trip 500 Sunday at Atlanta. Coming up, we'll spotlight some of the young guns in the Camping World Truck Series. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. The NASCAR Camping World Truck Series has always had a nice mix of veterans and young guns, but with drivers like Sheldon Creed, Austin Hill, and Todd Gilliland moving up to higher series, some thought this season might see a resurgence of the veterans. Well, through two races, two youngsters have found victory lane. Dave Moody takes a look at the Smiths, Zane and Chandler, along with some of the other fresh faces to watch. As the years roll on, NASCAR fans notice a shift in the driver lineup. Their favorites age, and new drivers come along, making their names in the sport. The last few years, that shift has consumed the Cup Series, and now we see the Truck Series going through a similar transition. The stalwarts of the series that we're used to seeing, Matt Crafton, Johnny Sauter, Stuart Friesen, aren't necessarily the names dominating anymore. 
Some drivers have been around for a while, but have only recently begun to hold their own. Ben Rhodes is a prime example. Here they come, sparks flying, trucks wrecking. One of them goes sliding wide to the checkered flag. They come outside lane. Ben Rhodes on the outside lane wins at Daytona. There's a huge crash further behind them. Rhodes gets loose off the exit of turn four, excuse me, turn 11. It is still Ben Rhodes. He's got a six truck length advantage over Sheldon Creed. And Ben Rhodes is going to win on the road course in Daytona. Off turn four, checkered flag in the air. The 2021 NASCAR Camping World Truck Series champion from Louisville, Kentucky. Ben Rhodes picks up the championship. He is, for the first time in his career, a champion in the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series. Rhodes has been full-time in the tough trucks of NASCAR since 2016. Aside from one or two wins, he'd not yet found his footing. 2021 changed all that as he claimed his first series championship. At only 25 years of age, Ben has a long career ahead to rack up more accomplishments. Shane Smith has raced his way by hooker by crook. Trouble coming off the trioval. Caution flag is out. This race is now official. The leader took the white flag. Zane Smith out front when the caution flag came out for a crash exiting the trioval. Those trucks spun all the way down towards the inside of turn number one. And Zane Smith has won the next Era Energy 250 at Daytona International Speedway. California native Zane Smith has a win to his credit already this season and hasn't slowed down since joining the Truck Series back in 2020. The runner-up for both the 2020 and 2021 championships has proven he's here to stay. After going to victory lane at Daytona, he finished second in Las Vegas before eventually being disqualified in post-race inspection. Needless to say, Smith will be pushing hard to gain back the ground he lost. Chandler Smith inside. Zane Smith tries to run him below the apron to no avail. Chandler Smith to the lead. He's got him by a truck length as they work off four. Zane Smith will make a final try. He looks to the high side. Not close enough to mount a challenge at the line. Chandler Smith wins in Las Vegas. He takes the victorious voice 200. Same last name, but not related. Chandler Smith is another youngster who is not here to play around. He held off boss Kyle Busch to win in Las Vegas, made it to the round of eight in last year's playoffs, and has not yet reached his 20th birthday. A couple of trucks are on the outside wall, but it's Christian Eckes, the leader off of turn number four. And that's going to do it. Christian Eckes, his first career win, he comes across the line, defeats his teammates in Ben Rhodes and Matt Crafton and keeps them out of the Phoenix race for now. But Christian Eckes wins the Victoria's Voice Foundation 200 in Las Vegas. While Christian Eckes has been in and out of the truck series in recent years, the former ARCA champion is not wasting time. Finished third at Daytona before being caught up in a crash in Las Vegas. His only previous truck series start at Atlanta resulted in a third place finish. And he could pull off a win this weekend. Another name to watch, Tanner Gray. He hasn't been to victory lane yet, but he's ready. With a fourth place finish at Daytona and a fifth in Las Vegas, 2022 could be a breakout year. There's a lot of youth in the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series right now. Plenty of drivers with lots to prove. Learn their names and watch them closely. They'll be invading the Cup Series in the blink of an eye. Thank you, Dave. Will a young gun make it three for three this weekend in Atlanta? Tune in and find out. Coming up, we'll catch up with Danny Stockman. And later, it's This Week in NASCAR History.
NASCAR Live is brought to you by Blue Emu Maximum Pain Relief, the official pain relief cream of the Motor Racing Network. Blue Emu is family-owned and manufactured here in America. It works fast, and you won't stink. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. We just discussed some fresh new faces in the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series, and Chandler Smith was one of those. He's coming off that win at Las Vegas a couple of weeks ago, and his crew chief, Danny Stockman, stopped by MRN's crew call and chatted with Steve Post and Todd Gordon about what he expects at the new Atlanta. One of the things we had talked about last year on crew call was how good Chandler was doing with with no practice. You guys are just showing up and rolling off the truck. Uh, we're back to practice. Not a lot of practice, but a little bit of practice. We're early in the season, I know, Danny, but but how has that impacted the way things have gone for you guys on the weekend, learning the new truck and, and getting further acclimated with your driver? It just it's just another level of confidence is all it is, Steve. It's uh, from uh, something as simple and and Todd could could touch on this too. It's something as simple simple as on my end, just making sure that the heights are right, right? Like mm-hmm. when yes. you don't have any practice, there's so much that people that don't understand of what goes into this, and uh, making sure that your heights are right are. Uh, Todd probably knows just as much as I do. Like we stress about this stuff. It's something so stupid and so simple that people think, but it's really not. And there's so much that goes into these tools to make sure everything's right. And then from the driver's side of things, being able to, you know, you fire off on the green flag and you go into turn three wide open and you, you don't have any experience in this racetrack. That's tough to do. So when he can go out there for, for 20 minutes and, and get a good feel for it, and we make a, a few little minor changes, he started the race with the utmost confidence that I've seen anywhere we've been. So um, it's huge. Um, it's huge for the young guys coming in. It's been tough these last two years with no practice with this kid. I mean, he had he, – his uh, he was the top end of, of, you know, the next talent. But it's taken until halfway last through year to show that because – he's really, really good, but with no practice and these guys not knowing the air and how these things react. I mean, it's difficult. Yeah. Races, races ended up being where you learned, right. And you didn't get any practice exactly. time to do it. You have to learn during the race. And, huh. and to your point, yeah, it's asking a guy that's never seen a racetrack that tell him this, that I went through this in 2004, Michelle Jordan, we went to Atlanta, Andy Houston, you, you worked around Andy, but uh, he, yep. uh, he was spotting for me and he told Michelle, he said, Bush car around here, you can run wide open. And like lap one, Michelle, IndyCar guy. So he was he was all good with it. Right. Wide open. We were like top two or three on the board. Wow. Right? Uh, but that's to ask somebody to do that. It's crazy. And, and, and to your point, ha- it, that was practice, right? You're asking him to do it in a race while he's got 30 trucks right behind him. That That's that's to get some practice. I can totally see that. Totally see that. And the, the trucks, they, they punch such a big hole in the air. They are the, probably the most aero sensitive race car truck that I've worked around just because they punch such a big hole and they, they will mess you up in a heartbeat. You get on somebody's door in a truck, it's like all over. And Chandler's had to deal with that, you know, three or four times where somebody got on his door and he spun out and wrecked the truck, but it's taken till now he knows what to do now. And without no practice, it's just been, it's been a bear for these young guys for sure. So we talk about the aero dependency of those trucks, and 
Um, you know, coming off a mile and a half win at Vegas, and you know, a lot of momentum, a lot of wide open throttle time. But uh, let's look forward. How does the reconfiguration in Atlanta change how you race Atlanta, or, or that does it become a mile and a half race for you, like everything else, or does it have some speedway tendencies? What do you see out of Atlanta coming up? Yeah, I, uh, I'm not very, I'm not looking very forward to Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, it's um it was a really fun racetrack before and i realized that they had to make some changes but um you remember in 2019 todd when we were starting the season out and we were running all these simulations because we were trying to figure out what car we were going to take to what track whether it was a hybrid uh yes uh yes uh, yeah that's where we're at right now so <laughs> i'm not going to get too involved in it because i think i might have a little bit of an up on some of this but you, you got to, it, it's, it's an in-betweener there. It's, it's might be more lean towards one way than an in-betweener. But the problem is, is that these guys race in a pack and it's a big pack. They're not going to get spread out. So you got to have downforce on the thing to be able to drive them side by side. So at the end of the day, that's what's most important is the race. You can have all the speed in the world, but if you can't drive them in the pack, then it don't do you no good. So, um, I got a funny story in, in 2019. I I had uh, the high up bosses talk me into taking a speedway car to the old Atlanta. Ooh. And God, that thing was really, really fast. Yep. And uh, I think we sat on the pole by by a little bit and we'd run about 20 laps and the anchor would fall out and we probably went a couple laps down. But, um, and at yeah, all those race, and at all those racetracks, I qualified like 25th with Joey and we'd drive to the front. Exactly. So it, it's, it's one of them deals. And the other thing we got to think about is how short these races are. Um, there's usually quite a few cautions. We don't run long green flag runs. So it's all that stuff that we got to look, look into. And, you know, it, it's, um, it's a chess match. That's why this stuff's fun. Yes. It's never the same. We're, we're always working on something. And um, that's what I enjoy about our sport and what I get to do for a living is nothing is ever the same. we got a new challenge going to Atlanta. And who's going to adapt to it the best? That's what's important. Danny, um, it is always a pleasure to chat chat with you here on Crew Call, chat with you in the garage. Can't wait to catch up with you again, but thanks for the time here on Crew Call. Thank you, guys. Let's have a good, uh, good week, and uh, we'll talk to you soon, hopefully, guys. The Freight 208 from the Atlanta Motor Speedway. Motor Racing Network will have the call this Saturday. Coming up, Susie Armstrong has this week in NASCAR history. Today's broadcast is brought to you by Blue Emu Maximum Pain Relief the official pain relief cream of the Motor Racing Network. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. We're about to head for the exits on this week's NASCAR Live. Before we do, it is time for some NASCAR history. It's time for This Week in NASCAR with Susie Armstrong. Thanks, Mike. 1986. Capitol Records capitalizes on newly signed rockers Heart as the hit single These Dreams takes the band to their first number one. Molly Ringwald and John Cryer learned of love and life as Andy and Ducky in the Brat Pack comedy drama Pretty in Pink. And Morgan Shepard was pretty fast in Georgia, leading 97 laps in the Race Hill Farm Buick to score the win in the Motorcraft 500 at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Dreams, oh, when I close my eyes. Every second of the night, I live another life. 
coming down the back stretch. High entrance into turn three. Here he is. This is the last chance. Morgan Shepard hanging on tight. Earnhardt is loose, trying to get way down underneath Morgan Shepard. Dale Earnhardt brings it right to the bottom of the racetrack. Can't do anything. The car slips up a little bit, and Morgan Shepard is going to get his biggest win ever as he wins the Motorcraft 500, a couple of car lengths ahead of Dale Earnhardt. Terry Labonte will finish third. We're gonna party like it's your birthday. We're gonna sip a party like it's your birthday. And you know we don't get 2003, 50 Cent was making the big bucks with Get Rich or Die Tryin's mega hit single, Into Club. Operation Desert Storm launches in earnest as American and British forces take to the skies deep within Iraq. And Ricky Craven and Kurt Busch unleashed an epic battle in South Carolina, duking it out for the win in the Southern 500 at Darlington Raceway. Bush, Craven, nose to tail. Here comes Craven up top. Bush goes up the block. Here comes Craven down to the bottom, trying to hang on. Both cars are loose in four. Craven pours all the steam, pulls to the inside lane. They are dead even coming down to the line. This is going to be close. They lean on one another. Across the line, Ricky Craven gets the win, and they continue the crash headed up into turn one. Craven pounds the wall, bounces off it. Kurt Bush right back at him. Ricky Craven has won the race. The only question now is, will he be able to make it back to victory lane? Twenty sixteen, Barbadian singer Rihanna partners up with Drake to get the job done with the collaboration single Work. President Barack Obama pays a visit to the island nation of Cuba, the first commander in chief to do so since nineteen twenty eight. And El Cajon, California's Jimmy Johnson was well in command at Auto Club Speedway, besting Bakersfield born Kevin Harvick in the Auto Club four hundred. The Superman colors with Jimmy Johnson at the front of the field. The California driver who's done so well over the years at Auto Club Speedway is going to do it again. Jimmy Johnson with a five-car length lead comes back to the line for the sixth time. He will win at Auto Club Speedway in the Auto Club 400. And those are just some of the events from this week in NASCAR history. Thank you, Susie. Don't forget, coming up on Thursday, we'll drop another episode of NASCAR Live Wide Open. Be sure to check it out wherever you download your podcast. We'd like to thank Chase Briscoe for stopping by today. Also, our thanks to Ross Chastain for joining us. For the rest of the MRN crew, I'm Mike Bagley. We thank you for being here as well. And we'll chat with you again right here next week on NASCAR Live. Until then, so long, everybody. NASCAR Live is a production of the Motor Racing Network with studios in Concord, North Carolina and was brought to you by Blue Emu Maximum Pain Relief, the official pain relief cream of NASCAR. It works fast and you won't stink. And by Toyota. For the latest Toyota racing information, visit toyotaracing.com. Today's broadcast was produced by Alexa Wesselman, Julian Council, and Trey Downing. The executive producer for MRN is Ryan Horn. Remember to visit MRN.com for all of the latest news and information. NASCAR Live is produced under an exclusive license with NASCAR. Any use of the accounts and descriptions contained in this broadcast must be with the express written permission of NASCAR and the Motor Racing Network. 
Ruoff Mortgage wants to welcome you home with their fast and stress-free mortgage process. Ruoff knows that when you're ready to move, you want to keep things moving. From the moment you start, Ruoff makes sure the process moves quickly, often twice as fast as other lenders, so you can close quickly and settle in sooner. Visit Ruoff.com to learn how you can qualify for the fastest loan of your life. That's Ruoff, R-U-O-F-F dot com.